This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. And you know, it's hard to believe, but we're fast approaching Christmas and New Year's and a new decade. Yes, the decade is coming to a close here in just a couple of weeks. And there's a lot to look back on. But today I want to look back uh, just one year. Everyone can look back 10 years, but I want to look back one year because we're certainly in a different place for markets, for economies. And I really want a touch. I really want to touch on that. So we are here each and every weekday to help improve your path towards your own version of financial freedom. So I encourage you to give me a call, ask me your questions, maybe just voice your concerns, your your thoughts, just maybe flesh out some ideas that you might have, and I certainly can give you as much feedback as my experience allows. So we are going to approach this show just like we do each and every day with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So the phone lines are open, so give me a call, 888-99-SHART. As you probably heard, Steve is has scheduled two consultationships for January. He'll be in Dallas, Texas, January 24th. That's a Friday. Then, due to strong demand, he'll be back in New York City, January 28th and 29th. That's a Tuesday and Wednesday. So if you want to get help understanding your situation, seeing how you can improve it financially, don't hesitate to reach out to our through our website. Just go there, click on the portfolio review page view on the Invest Talk drop-down menu and fill that out and that will go to us and we will set up that appointment. Now, my main talking point today concerns the observation that S&P 500 is within striking distance of its best year since 1997. We're going to touch on that and why, why that is happening and it's, it's a pretty interesting, interesting year. Uh, in a lot of ways, surprising year. In some ways, not so surprising year. Okay, and I want to touch on this after I get to all my other topics. I want to talk about what Stanley Drunkenmiller is seeing about the market. That's very, very important. He's one, I think, one of the smartest minds on Wall Street. Also, what drives the returns of equities? There are different factors from momentum to dividend yield to quality to liquidity, size, etc. And we're going to touch on what those are and what matters more than others based on some pretty extensive studies. And then news about negative interest rates, some pretty interesting changes over in Europe. We're going to touch on that as well. But I want to look back a year and how different the year or this time of year, is in markets compared to last year. Let's rewind. 365 days. And look at where markets were. Markets were kind of on their heels, right? After a big drop in the fourth quarter of last year, a lot of volatility. And we were in the midst of, let's see, that was the 
one, two, third down day in seven straight down days going into Christmas Eve. The Fed on this day a year ago raised interest rates for the fourth time in the year and also promised or prognosticated four more rate hikes hikes in 2020 as well as a continuation of QT, quantitative tightening, reducing their balance sheet. After that sell-off, you know, Steve Mnuchin made calls to banks on Christmas Eve, and he was worried. And pretty much since then, the market has turned around and gone much, much higher. Clearly, the Fed has been influenced. Now, how much it's been influenced by the president or the White House, I don't know. But clearly, they've been influenced to some degree. Why? Why? Well, what did they actually do this year? What did the Fed do this year in relation to what they were prognosticating they would do 365 days ago? Did they raise rates four times? No. What did they do? They cut rates three times. Did they continue with quantitative tightening? No, they did not. They actually reversed it. They stopped it. And after the repo problem in September, they are now printing. They have printed $400 billion in the span of three months. Roughly $133 billion per month. For reference, QE3 was $85 billion per month. So they're basically, over the past three months, they've implemented three, count it, three, sorry, not three, two, a combination of two QEs, QE3 and QE2, roughly about the pace that they're buying treasuries at. Now, they're saying it's not QE, they're saying it's not money printing, but it absolutely is. They're conjuring money out of thin air, and buying treasuries in the repo market effectively. Instilling liquidity in the markets. So it's a very different situation. The economy, probably a little slower. Profits a little weaker than this time last year. Not dramatically so but certainly to some degree. Some of that will be cleared up with the trade war, war, trade truce, shall we say. But it's clearly a very different look from the Federal Reserve. And this is by far the most important aspect of what's happening in markets today. So I'm going to touch on this a little bit more, what the ramifications are going into 2020. You know, we only have, I only host four more shows this year. So this is one of them. And I want to touch on this a little bit more and really flesh out what's happening and where this goes and what the ramifications will be. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We present this program with 
Five new shows each week, Monday through Friday, and it's broadcast and streamed live in the 4 o'clock hour, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock Pacific time hour, excuse me. And whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to contact myself or Steve at our KP Financial offices in Irvine, California, or call the show, 8899 chart, leave a message, we'll answer on the next program, or you can explore our podcast library via iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I encourage you to get your call in sooner rather than later. Now, before the break, I touched on how monetary policy, basically the Federal Reserve, is currently embarking on a very different path to monetary policy than they did 365 days ago, right? Almost the exact antithesis of what they were doing then. Then they were really creating or sopping up liquidity in the system in a fairly aggressive manner. And today they are absolutely injecting liquidity at an, in an aggressive manner. Now, why is this? You know, why did the repo market problem happen? Well, First, it starts with regulation. Banks have been big buyers of treasuries since the financial crisis, and our debt has only increased dramatically. And since Trump came, was elected, that has only accelerated, right? We went from, I think we were at a deficit somewhere around $600 billion back then. Actually, I can look that up right now. Here it is. Back when he was elected... The deficit was somewhere in the neighborhood, yeah, five, call it 500, four, 500 billion. Now we're at a trillion, trailing 12 months, $1.022 trillion negative U.S. Treasury surplus and deficit. And banks were big buyers, but banks also, because of Dodd-Frank, were far more regulated on the leverage that they could have on their balance sheet. And therefore, they were using balance sheet space to buy up treasuries and that basically ran out the big banks they ran out of space okay and so what the fed has effectively done is monetize the debt right they're solving the liquidity problem solving the repo problem by printing money and basically allowing banks to continue to buy treasuries take them off their hands right because that's what the fed's doing Right, they're taking treasuries as collateral and giving these banks cash, which is improving their liquidity and our leverage ratios. Okay, and the big question is, what's what's going to change? And my answer is nothing. Is Trump going to spend more? Yes. Is Trump going to reduce taxes? Yes. Is he going to make the deficit far worse than it is today? Yes. I see no way around it. That's who Trump is. Trump is a real estate businessman, or however you want to classify him, but his expertise is in real estate. No industry utilizes leverage and debt more than the real estate industry. So this is what he knows. 
Now, the Fed can either let the deficit overwhelm the banking industry and create liquidity problems and crises in the short term, or they could print money and monetize the debt, which we've known for a long time that eventually they would get there. And guess what? We are there. So this is a trend that I see just continuing. The Fed will print and print and print to sop up the deficit, which once again, about a, roughly almost $100 billion every single month of additional debt added to our balance sheet as a country. Now, what are the ramifications? Well, that liquidity is going to go somewhere. Now, part of it is to sop up treasuries. Other part will go into the market. Investors will be more beholden to take risks. And so it's hard for me to be bearish. It's hard for me to be bearish in the near term. Long term is another story, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. 888-99 Charter is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Casey in Sunnyvale. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a question. I wanted to do some sort of an alternative gift for my nephew who's three years old. I don't like the idea of buying toys, you know, crappy toys. Okay. I wanted to know if you have any have... suggestions for somewhere to put maybe money away for him. Have you considered an atma? It's a Uniform Gift to Minors Act. And what it is, you can actually open up an account in their name and where you are the manager. But you're really giving the money to them. And you give money every year. And you uh-huh. can manage it. And when he turns 18, it becomes his money. Okay, and I can find that at like any traditional bank, or do I need to go you to like... You can Chanel open up an account at Schwab. Any money manager firm will open up an UTMA. A uniform. Uh-huh. And is there like a minimum you have to put in? Nope. Or is there, is nope. there criteria? Nope. nope. <laughs> you can put in a buck. Really? And it yeah. grows a little bit of interest each year? Is yeah. That what it does, it, it, you put it initially, if it's very small, you just let it sit in the money market and you make money market rates. When it gets big enough that you can buy a mutual fund, you know, a few years down the road, you buy a mutual fund. And it really is a great tool to teach a young kid when he gets 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, how to make money, how to save money. I think it's a good idea. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much. That helps me out tremendously. Thanks, Casey. But I'm taking your calls right now. Give me your finance and investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now, I just went over where we were last year with Fed policy, monetary policy, and where we are today, as well as the, the economic backdrop and what this probably means for 2020, which is probably a risk on year. Now, there's always caveats to this, and the caveat to me is more long-term. To me, the Fed has decided to, instead of try to cure the underlying misallocation of capital that has built up over the past 10, 11 years due to QE and 0% interest, you know, ZERP 0% interest rates, uh, that the Fed has punted and basically said, 
We're going to monetize the debt. We're going to keep liquidity flowing in the system and consequences be damned. Right? They've at least promised this policy through March, I believe. I don't know the exact time, maybe mid-March. Maybe they'll reassess. But they don't seem to really have a grasp on why the liquidity problem happened, why the repo market happened. At least they don't say that publicly. I think they're smart enough to know in the backdrop. And they know that we're running a trillion dollar deficit that's only accelerating for multiple reasons. So what is this going to cause? First off, this is going to weaken the dollar. Now in the near term, that's a positive typically for the economy. Why? Because a cheaper dollar means our goods and services are cheaper for the rest of the world. And therefore, our exports increase, etc. But this also will drive up inflation. And it's something that the Fed has been looking for for a long time. Now, there are a lot of different measures of inflation. And clearly, they're using some terrible ones. <laughs> because... I think most people would agree that we're getting more than 2% inflation per year. Especially now. And this is only going to accelerate. So I think you're going to get a rise in inflation in commodities. Especially. And I've talked about the effects of deglobalization. And I think that will supercharge it in the longer term as well. Now, what could derail this current move in the market? Clearly, the Fed's pivot has allowed this last year and a half, or call it two years now, because really the equity market's pretty much topped in January of 2018, and now we've broken out. So technically, that looks like a consolidation phase onto new highs, and who knows where it goes. But what could derail it? And I turned to Stanley Drunken Miller. He had a great Bloomberg interview, and I think he, he gets this spot on. And the first is a political event, like a change in the White House. Now, if we stay at 3.5% unemployment, roughly we grow at roughly 2% GDP over the next 10 months or so, the stock market stays where it is now or, or higher. I think Trump gets reelected. Whether you hate him, whether you love him, it's the economy stupid. I believe that no matter who's running for office in the White House, it's the economy stupid. Now, sometimes when you know one political party has been there for a couple of years or a couple terms, excuse me, people like a change and they switch it out. So that can happen as well. But that's not the case here, right? Trump has only been in office for three, going on four years. So my assumption is that Trump will get reelected based on what's happening in markets, what's happening in the economy, because the economy is stupid. But if you do, for whatever reason, get a change in leadership in the White House into anti-capitalists, is what Stanley Drunkenmiller would call it, that could trigger a new bear market. Why? Because some of them, not all of them, of the Democratic candidates, are very anti-free markets, right? Elizabeth Warren, a Bernie Sanders... Those are the names that want to 
instill large increases in taxes and probably more regulation, etc. Now, maybe you get a more moderate candidate like a, was it Pete Buttigieg? Um, maybe a Michael Bloomberg. Maybe a Biden, but I think Biden's done. If you get one of those type of candidates, I think, you know, you could see somewhat of similar policies to Trump. Obviously not as brash, etc., but somewhat similar policies, which is spend, maybe change the tax code back a little bit, but not to a dramatic degree to change the capitalist nature of our markets or anything like that. And that may continue, that may be a change in the White House that doesn't spark a bear market. Okay. So that's number one, a political problem. And after the break, I'll get to number two. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Now, on the next Invest Talk, the story, the NYSE legend who got much of 2018 right has predicted prediction for 2020. A notable Wall Street financial manager thinks stocks will continue higher, but he expects volatility. Kind of similar to us. That story tomorrow. But I want to hear your questions right now at 888-99-CHART. Numbers are elusive. But if it goes to zero, do you lose all your money? They're always changing. As you know, Apple is all-time high again. Invest Talk listeners know it's all about the numbers. I'm 82. I'm interested in knowing what the recommended withdrawal rate would be. So the questions keep coming. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm question regarding real estate. Everything counts. Jason, El Segundo, how you doing? Let's go to Michael in Fremont looking at Occidental Petroleum. And here's an interesting number. Downloads for the Invest Talk podcast now average 450000 each month. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate your insight and your understanding of the market and financial business. Since it all started, the total number of InvestTalk downloads has now exceeded 19 million. InvestTalk.com You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Now, so far, we've covered the fact that the central banks, especially the Fed, has put new fuel on the fire of this bull market in the form of massive amounts of liquidity and money printing and QE. Part of it to stem the problem of rising deficits. Okay. And Stanley Drunk Miller, a great Bloomberg interview. I think everyone should be watching it. Went over what he believes, and I think this is similar, is what could trigger the end of the bull market. And the first is, was a change of leadership in White House. And he calls that the political event. I think other political events could trigger it as well. 
you know, a war with China, a shooting war with China, which I don't think happening, but I could see something like that potentially happening, but I, I put it as a long shot. Uh, it could be something in relation to Hong Kong and big problems there, right? Uh, there's other there are other political problems that could arise that create a change in risk on sentiment. So the first is obviously political a political event. Number two for him is if the if inflation gets too hot, then the Fed starts tightening. Now normally I would say that inflation is rising. Inflation is I think close to overheating in some ways based on traditional measures, especially based on non-traditional measures. But the Fed has kind of hinted that they are going to allow inflation to run hot for a little while to make up for previous times, like over the last decade, when inflation was relatively low, you know, sub 2%. Which I think is an idiotic statement because think of inflation in the 70s. was dramatically high in the teens. The central bankers go, well, we're going to allow deflation for a little while to make up for that 15-20% inflation rate that we had for a little while. No, it doesn't make any sense. To me, it's an excuse for reckless policy by the Federal Reserve. So do I see inflation running hot? Yes. I I think inflation is going to increase and accelerate faster than we've seen in a while. For a multitude of factors, weaker dollar, uh, low unemployment rates, demographic changes, uh, the trade deal with China, which could potentially push supplies of agriculture overseas as opposed to here, as well as increase in manufacturing and business for our country, right, with tight labor supply. So a lot of multitude of factors that are going to push inflation higher. But do I see the Fed anytime soon raising rates to address it? No, they just cut rates three times and now they're printing $130 billion a month. So I don't really see that happening either. So the first two, I don't see really happening. I don't see a change in the White House as long as things kind of stay relatively the same over the next 10, 11 months. Economically, I'm saying. I don't think there's much, you know, this, I haven't even mentioned the impeachment. Yeah, impeachment today, market shrugged it off. Why? Because they know it's going to go to the Senate and it's going to get shot down. Who knows that? If you think otherwise, you're you're just hoping. That's just the way it is. So Trump's talk and whether you think of his brashness, whether you love it or hate it, I don't think it's going to change the outcome of the election. I think what's going to change the outcome of the election is a change in the economic trajectory. And we've seen that. That's in the past what has predicted these things. Next, what he says is a credit event. Stanley Drunken Miller. And clearly there's there's a lot of his quote is there's really a lot of bad apples out there that are not being exposed because of interest costs are so low. Clearly, once again, low interest rates enabling 
bad businesses to stay in business, misallocation of capital, uh, creative destruction being inhibited by overly loose monetary policy. It's just crazy that they're at 1.5% Fed funds rate, printing $130 billion a month with unemployment rate at 3.5%. But they're doing it because of the deficit. And that's what he gets to next. He says, by the way, one of them, meaning poor credits, is being the U.S. government. So running a trillion dollar deficit. Why? His answer is because we can. And that's really the big problem here. Is that, and this is not just a Jerome Powell thing. This is not just a Trump thing. This is what the system that we are under has created. The Fed being able to print money, do whatever they want, has enabled politicians to continue to spend, borrow and spend, borrow and spend. Well, was what has Jerome Powell done? He has just enabled this to the nth degree. He's not just lowering the rate to borrow. He's effectively printing money for the government to borrow money. He's monetizing the debt and allowing trillion-dollar deficits with 3.5% unemployment. That's what that's the situation that we're in. And so for the long run, it is disastrous. We are growing the deficit at 4.5% per year. We're at a tw- an economy of $21.5 trillion. $21.5 trillion trailing 12 months. Well, trailing 12 months, debt. Def- excuse me, deficit is a trillion dollars. Divide those two, that's about a 4.5% growth rate to GDP. And what is our GDP growing at? 2%. Now apply those figures to you as an individual. Let's say your income was going up 2%. But your debt was going up 4.5% every year. Income going up 2 Total debt on your balance sheet going up 4.5%. Is that sustainable? Is that sustainable? The answer is no. In no way, shape, or form is this a sustainable situation. Now, the big question is, when does the unsustainableness become a problem? And I think it has to do with inflation, right? These this enabling of poor monetary, poor fiscal policy, excuse me, is going to snowball itself on itself at some point. Why? Because you're going to have to print more and more money, flood the system with dollars. Those dollars are going to be sopped up by the treasury market, and the dollar is going to eventually weaken. Right, and that's going to drive up inflation. Will drive up the cost of the debt, and that's a situation where it kind of unravels, okay? So, short-term, bullish. Can't, it's hard not to be. When you're doing two QEs per month, what else can you do? What else is there? Where, where is this money going to flow? It's going to flow in the markets. It's going to flow into equities, going to flow into 
indexes in the midst of a massive index bubble. And we can talk about that probably on another show about the problems with the indexing market and suddenly this giant behemoth that will eventually come unraveled. Well, it's just going to get another some more gasoline thrown on that. 888-99 charters our number. 888-992-4278. In today's world, they want everything on autopilot. They don't want to think. You know, they, we're overwhelmed with data. And we want people to make the decisions for us, for the most part. They want, we want it simpler. Well, what's more simple than, let's just buy an index fund. I don't have to think about it. Well, it creates a lot of instability in the system. Well, the instability doesn't happen when everything's going up. And the way, best way to make inflation in any area is to print money and push it that way. And that's what the Fed is doing. The Fed is printing money and pushing that into markets. Oh, can we talk? Uh, do Is Noel still on or no? Okay, let's go to Noel in Napa. He wants to talk about the weak dollar. Yeah, uh, well, I've been enjoying your, your talk for the last 15 minutes or so. It's really interesting. Anyhow, I think you're painting, painting a, seria, a, a scenario for me to buy gold and silver, uh, you know, the weak dollar if uh, Trump stays in and, and a disaster if the uh, Democrats get in. So it seems like a, 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 a bullish sign for gold and silver to me. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I think in, in a lot of different scenarios, gold does well, uh, whether that mm -hmm. is... Like you said, a political uh, political issue, uh, which I don't really see in the near term, or rising deficits, weaker dollar, more money printing, which I do see in the near term as well as the long term. So I still remain that gold to me is the best asset class longer term. And I even would argue that next year for 2020 will still be, even though I think equity markets will rise as long as the, the Fed keeps printing money, I think inflation uh, indicators will, will rise so much that uh, gold will, will take off. Um, and so I think this is still a, a great place to be, uh, medium term, short term, long term, uh, and the technicals back it up. So uh, I, I still like that. Right. Okay. Well, thanks, Justin. Appreciate your uh, your uh, information you're putting out today. It's really interesting. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Noel. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And as you make your investment choices, there's always a bit of risk, a bit of fear and greed that creeps into your judgment process. And that fear comes from the perception of risk. Whatever you perceive your level of risk in your portfolio to be. Now, my advice is for dealing with that is to define your risk tolerance level. And we do that. We help with that via our online free risk analysis tool. It's right there on investtalk.com. Go check it out. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. 
KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Radio and Podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve, this is Jack calling from Fremont. I had a question about real estate investing and was wondering how much of our investable assets should be invested in real estate. Thanks. Well, it definitely varies, and it also varies depending on whether you're talking about rental properties or you're talking about REITs, you're talking about commercial properties. Uh, it also depends on your risk tolerance, your willingness to be a landlord, right? A lot of people who are landlords, a very large percent of their net worth tends to be tied up in real estate. And... You know, that's that's fine if you're well diversified, you have multiple properties, uh, they're in growing areas uh, that will continue to see home buyers and home renters to maintain values as well as rents. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into this. One thing, going back to my other topics uh, earlier today, about inflation and about interest rates. I see I see this as the recipe for interest rates really going much, much higher. Because I don't see governments doing a whole lot about it until that happens. And when it does, it's kind of like you kind of let the cat out of the bag, right? When people start worrying about the deficits of the U.S. government, then they start looking at U.S. Treasuries as not quite as safe. Is it really this risk-free asset? So, you know, while inflation could pick up, I don't see it being in real estate, especially if interest rates continue to rise. You're going to start to see a weakness here in real estate prices because of higher mortgage rates. But going back to the caller question, I wouldn't put more than about 30% of your net worth into real estate. Now, I don't include your personal residence. I see personal residence not as an investment, but as a utility. Now, it can be a hedge against inflation sometimes, but to me, it's a utility, so I don't count that. So I'm thinking 20, 20 to 30% for most people in real estate is probably the max I would go for an allocation. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And we're going into our last break of the day. So if you're going to call, you have to do it right now. So our work continues after this break at 888 chart
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to BJ in Fremont. He wants to talk about real estate. Yeah, so Justin, I just wanted to follow up on the previous question that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, that is uh, 20 to 30 percent is what? Is it the value of the real estate, or it is your equity, or uh, the down payment that you the va- so What is that 20 the to value, 30 percent? I would the total value of it because you're exposed to that value, right? The value goes down. That's negative. That's that asset value is lower on your balance sheet, personal balance sheet. So it's the total value of those real estate holdings, not what your down payment is or what your equity is. Uh, you know, these are these are complex. I mean, I, I hate to put a, a number on it, so I don't want to. I, I don't want to tell anyone that they need to do X, Y, and Z. But if I'm creating my own personal balance sheet, that would be the max I would put of total value of real estate holdings for investment purposes, you know, rental purposes uh, on a personal balance sheet. So yes, total value. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through. We have a couple minutes left, and I want to touch on a really interesting study. Uh, it's a great article from Morningstar, and they did they did a study. They compared it to a study by Robico, which is a Dutch asset manager. And they, they went back, or Robico went back to 1789, but Morningstar went back to only 2004. But what they looked at are different factors that drive performance. And it was really interesting, the results of their study. And I'll go by what factors drove returns more than anything. And number one is volatility. So we all kind of know that the more volatility you have in a portfolio, the more in the long run you're going to earn. That should be known. But their study actually backed that up. The big problem is that most people don't can't can't handle that volatility they usually sell when there is volatility they usually freak out so it would be strange if assets were priced otherwise but the fact is that those that had high measures of standard deviation which is the measure of volatility also had the highest returns now the dutch study actually said that those higher returns were not justified by the volatility, meaning there was too much volatility for the the level of returns that you got, right? The excess return that you got over maybe lower volatility names. That can be subjective, depends on the form, formula you use, but I thought that was interesting. Next is size. And the belief that all things being equal, smaller stocks outperform blue chips. And that's actually true. Now, they say that is more predominant in 
foreign markets than U.S. markets. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the indexing craze that more money is being you know thrown at the S&P 500 over since 2004 is what they're going back to. So not that many years, to be frank. So I still think that, that that's part of that phenomenon. But yeah, smaller companies, you tend to get more higher returns overall. Why? Because they have more room to grow. You know, a, a company worth $5 billion can turn into a company worth $500 billion. The returns on that are just massive. Whereas the company's already worth $100 billion. Is it really going to go to a trillion or two tri- $5 trillion? I mean, it's possible, but you know, it's a lot harder over the uh, same time frame. So uh, smaller companies definitely outperform longer term. Next, momentum. And this is the third best factor. Right, so more volatile stocks, smaller stocks, they tend to outperform. Also, momentum tends to outperform. But the problem is that the excess return for momentum can ret- can reverse rather quickly, such as 2008 and early 2009. The approach to momentum failed dramatically, and all of those excess returns dwindled rather fast. So... The moral of the story is, and then the fourth was actually yield. Yield's very important as well. So smaller companies with yield, and don't be afraid of volatility if you're willing to handle and able to handle it. Some people aren't, and you have to be honest with yourself. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow. I'll be hosting again on Monday. We're in the final stretch of 2019, so remember, you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And be sure to listen, rate, and review. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.